Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. One of the things that I've really loved in learning about this church is how saturated our gatherings are with God's word. Like how often we read it when we gather together, how often we pray through it and meditate on it. And uh, I, I hope that what we're about to do now is just an extension of, of that. Um, guys, if you're new here, like this is your first time, I'm new here as well. Like this is, I think week five or six. And uh, if you're new here, there should be like a connect card in the pew in front of you. So uh, I'd love for you to fill that out. I'd love to personally connect with you in any way. And guys, if you have any kind of need at all, especially prayer, please don't hesitate to even write on that card, put in the offering plate on your way out. I would also be glad to pray with you up front after the service if you so need. Um, Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Exodus 33 yet again. Exodus 33 is where we have been for the past few weeks. Exodus 34 is where we're going to be for many more weeks to come as we walk through this passage of Moses experiencing the glory of God. So while you're turning to Exodus 33, let me ask you a few questions. How many of you, uh, like you like to go watch uh, movies in the movie theater? Like obviously not right now because you can't, but how many of you love to go make, as soon as a movie comes out, you're, you're, you're first in line at the theater and you love to go see it, right? Several of us, right? How many of you, when you walk into the theater, like you're pushing people out of the way and like getting so, so you can have your favorite seat on the very front row? How many of you sit on the front row in your theaters? No, everybody's shaking their head. Why? Why don't we do that? Because it's the worst seat in the house, right? Nobody enjoys watching a movie on a 30-foot screen TV that's five feet in front of you, right? That's not enjoyable. Or how about this? How about uh, you getting some tickets to a play or a game, like the, one of the big games at UVA, and, and the tickets are posting at midnight, and you stay up till midnight just so you can buy tickets in, in the nosebleed section. How many of you do that? No. Who likes the nosebleed section? Nobody. Right? Why? Because seeing something from really far away where you can't even make out the details or you require a binocular or you're even using your phone to like zoom in just to be able to see things, that's not enjoyable, right? There are certain places you have to be in order for you to be able to enjoy certain things, right? They're called vantage points, certain places where you can enjoy something. So where would you go to enjoy the top of a city skyline? To the top of the building, right? Where would you go to in really ultimately enjoy that first break of dawn? To a mountaintop. Where would you go in order to uh, hear a, a chorus or song? You, you'd get right in front of the PA speakers, right? There are certain places where you have to be in order to be able to enjoy certain things. Guys, the same holds true for God. The very same thing The idea or the concept is the same truth for God, right? The idea that we have to see God from a certain place in order to be able to actually rightly see him or fully see him or even safely see him, right? And that's what we're going to find out today in this text, ultimately. Last week, we talked about, we started talking about the glory of God. And and, and I'm I'm just going to try this and see who remembers what, the glory of God is, what we defined it as. If you remember, even if you refer back to your notes from last week, I will be proud of you. 
Anybody can define it. The glory of God is what? The be- Oh, ah, close. The beautiful perfections of God's sovereign. Yes. Sorry, I'm too loud. Sovereign character. The, let's say that I can actually put that up on the screen for you. Hopefully it's going to go. We're going to work this out. The beautiful perfections of God's sovereign character. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. The beautiful perfections of God's sovereign character. You will grow tired of that phrase because we're going to say it for the next several weeks. So you might as well get it memorized right now, right? Guys, in this text, God is telling us that we we get to see this, but we have to see it from a very specific place, from a vantage point. And so we're in Exodus 33, and I'm going to start reading back again in in verse 18. And we're going to go all the way through verse 23. And this is what it says. This is the word of the Lord. Then Moses said, please let me see your glory. God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim the name the Lord or Yahweh before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, this is our text for today. You cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place for me. Sorry, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hands until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face will not be seen. All right, so just like almost every sermon so far in this series has had three parts to the sermon, this morning follows suit as well. We got three parts to this morning. So if you like to outline, uh, just think of P's. You got three P's. Our plight. God's provision, and then ultimately the point. Our plight, God's provision, then ultimately the point. Right? So three parts. Let's get to the first. Our plight. So God starts off, like he starts off saying, yeah, Moses, I'll let you see my glory. This is what you're going to get to see. But, there's a big old but in this text. He says, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. So God basically says, hey, there's going to be this restriction that's founded on this specific truth. The restriction was this, that you cannot see my face, which is interesting, which we'll talk about in a second. But why? Why why won't God allow Moses to see his face? The truth is this, because no man can see my face and survive it. No man can see my face and live. So here's here's a a funny thing. I I came across an article a little while ago on Forbes.com. And the article basically offered a study that was done on 511 American Christians. And they were asked to describe what they think the face of God looks like. 
Okay, so they, they put all of their uh, uh, images and their, their understanding of who God looks like into a composite image that looks like this. No kidding. Apparently, American Christians, at least 511 of them, believe the face of God to look something like this. Now, the article went on to say and make the connection that the idea, well, if you look at that long enough, you're going to start to see somebody. Elon Musk, you know him? He's the technology entrepreneur. He's the guy who owns SpaceX, which like launches and lands rockets. He's the owner of Tesla. You know, those electric cars that take 50 hours to charge, right? Apparently the article says, well, a lot of people think God looks like Elon Musk. I mean, do we just think God has like a, a, a nice goatee and a strong jawline or something? Is that, guys, do you see how absurd this, this is? Like how silly, foolish, maybe even absurd is probably the best word. Why is this idea so absurd? Why is it even weird to, to ask someone, hey, what do you think the face of God looks like? Why is it weird? Because nobody has seen the face of God, right? That's, that's the principle. That's literally peppered throughout all of the Bible. Look at John 1.18. No one has ever seen God. What about 1 Timothy 6.16? God alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see, right? Or what about 1 John 4? It says no one has ever seen God. So even to start off with the question, hey, what do you think the face of God looks like? is pointless. I mean, we're already being asked that question to to develop our own understanding of who we might think God is. But God clearly says, hey, you haven't actually seen my face. How can you give me, how can you write your own image or, or make your own image of what my face looks like? Now, why is it that no one has ever seen the face of God? Why is the Bible so adamant over and over again that nobody has actually seen the full face of God? Well, I think it has to start with our understanding of what we mean by the face of God, and then we'll actually understand why that is the case. All right, so we're still in our plight. What's the problem? Think about a face, right? What do you, what do you recognize people by? Their face. You don't recognize people by their hands. Hey, let me see your hands so I can tell who you are, <laughs> right? Or what about your feet? Yeah, show me your feet. Oh, nope, don't know who that is, right? No. We recognize people by their face, which is why these masks are terrible, right? We recognize people by their face. And people's identity is wrapped up in their face. Their personalities are shown on their face. Guys, we can see inward emotions expressed outwardly on the face, right? We recognize people by looking at their face. Guys, in a sense, Your face represents all of you. Your face represents your whole personhood. And for the writers of the Bible, in the same context, the human face could represent the entire person. So this means, with that Hebrew understanding of what a face is supposed to represent, this means that the fullness of God's glory, in other words, the beautiful perfections of his sovereign character, are displayed fully in his face. That's why we sing, God, I want to look at your face. 
and see it. Because his full glory shines on his face. In fact, one author, I love this. One author defined the face of God as as the brightness of his personal character. The face of God is the brightness of his personal character. In other words, God's face is his glory fully shining. And, And do you think that we as finite, foolish, fickle human beings could ever gaze upon the absolute fullness of God's glory? Absolutely not, right? If anyone were to ever see the fullness of God's glory, it would consume them because we believe in an infinite and holy God while at the same time understanding that we are finite and sinful. Now in the Bible, there are a few times where people saw something of God, right? And how do we work that into this, right? Well, first off, it wasn't ever fully his face in glory, right? It was either an image or a depiction of God in Christ, the Messiah, which in the Bible, in the Old Testament, sometimes was called the angel of the Lord, right? Or it was, or, or it was a partial viewing of God being covered or limited, or oftentimes it was just simply his voice, I mean, no one is ever to have said to seen God's face because that's his full glory on display. Even when it says that Moses and God spoke face to face, all scholars say that that's not that he was looking directly at the face of God. It was to describe the relationship of friendship that they literally got to talk to one another like they were friends. Like they were talking up close and personal. So guys, this is our plight. This is the big problem. We cannot see God's face and live. Now, at least. Now we cannot see God's face. And yet, and yet there will be a day when you and I are totally remade perfectly and wholly new, all indwelling sin, totally removed, recipients of glorified bodies able to behold God's glories expressed on his radiant face because of his unending grace, our spiritual perception reaching far beyond what we're now seeing. Guys, Psalm 17, this is the third time I've quoted this verse, by the way. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness, right? Or what about 1 John 3? Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Amen? And then, and then the most clear of all, Revelation 22. No longer will there be anything accursed. We're talking about the new kingdom. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in new Jerusalem, the new kingdom, and his servants will worship him. And what does it say? Read it. They will see his face. And yet for now, 
for this season of history, our plight is still that we cannot see God's full face and live unless he makes provision for us. Unless he makes a way, which moves us to our second part for the morning, which is God's provision. Say that with me. One, two, three. God's provision. Guys, God provides a way for Moses to see his glory. He says, here's the restriction based on this truth, but here's the provision. This is your plight, but I've got a way. Look at verse 21. The Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face will not be seen. So guys, already I've said this the last two weeks. God is eager to show you his glory or else he would not have made a way. He would not have given provision, right? God is eager to show his people his glory. God wants you to see what he is like. And God says that he is going to put Moses on the rock. There's a rock up here that you can stand by me on. Are you picturing heaven? The throne of the lamb right next to the throne of the father. There was a rock Not just any rock, but there's a cleft inside of this rock. It's a split in the rock and and, and he's going to put Moses in this cleft of the rock. And not only that, but he's going to cover Moses with his hand. (laughs) Guys, we literally see God's own hand become the refuge for sinners in the presence of a just God. Can't you see how eager he is for you to be with him? This is how we can enjoy the words that we find like in Psalm 91. Some of you find this passage to be your favorite, right? The one who lives under the protection of the most high dwells in the shadow of the almighty. Verse four, he will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. Guys, he's not saying that something else will protect you from him. He's saying he himself will protect you. He will guard you. He will cover you. He will keep you safe. Guys, Moses is going to be covered by God's own hand, shielded from the glory that would otherwise consume him which is an amazing, amazing promise. And, and, and once God's glory has passed by that place, he's going to remove his hand and Moses is going to catch a glimpse of glory. Moses is going to see what God refers to as his back, right? Now that doesn't sound very attractive, does it? Like, a, <laughs> that's a nice back, <laughs> I don't know if we'd ever say that of God. Now, some refer to this as like this regal train of God's robe as he walks by, right? Others actually just take God's personification and say it's his literal back. Uh, Commentators don't really agree. um, And they all agree on one thing. We don't really know for certain, ultimately. But it is an image of God that he is getting to see. 
But in seeing God's back, we know at least he's still going to recognize who God is. He's still going to catch a glimpse of the fullest glory of God that has ever been seen in the Bible up to this point in history where Moses is at. He's still going to be able to perceive God's true yet not full presence. So God makes this gracious provision for a sinner named Moses to be able to safely behold the glory of God and not be consumed by it. Not just in protecting Moses's life by choosing to limit what Moses saw, but by protecting Moses in the rock with his own hand. God put Moses in the only safe place for Moses to be able to see God's glory. God put Moses in the best place for Moses to be able to see God. You remember what we talked about at the beginning? There is a certain vantage point that you have to be in order to enjoy and be able to fully view something, right? Or best view something. Vantage point. There's a certain place here to be able to see God's glory best. We can only enjoy God's glory from a very specific vantage point. And that's leading us to our third part for this morning, which is the point. Let's say that together. One, two, three, the point. So let me backtrack just for a second and really quick summarize where we are, right? Our plight, the problem, we as human beings cannot see the glory of God and live, right? God's provision, he provides a way for us to be able to see God's glory by putting Moses in the cleft of the rock. We, we can't rightly see God's glory apart from it, right? And guys, I, I mentioned this earlier. You and I as human beings, we were created to crave the glory of God. Some of us just don't realize it yet. Most of us try to satisfy it with worldly things, especially those who aren't following Jesus. And we try to fill that void with lesser glories. But the reality is God's glory is the only thing that can fully satisfy that craving. And the good thing is God wants to show us his glory. And so he graciously makes a provision for us to be able to see it. He puts us in the cleft of the rock where we can hide and be protected from the wrath of God while at the same time, we get to see and enjoy the glory of God safely and see that all that he is, is beautiful. So I have to ask you, can you hear the bells of Calvary ringing? They are playing an age old song. Can you hear that old time gospel hymn? If you know it, you better sing it with me because I don't like singing alone. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Right? We just, like we're literally singing. We're hearing where this song comes from. We're hearing the bells of Calvary ringing here. Can't you see our rock of ages hanging on a cross for you and me? Can't you see his blood trickling down, washing us and forgiving us of all of our sin? I mean, can't you see the holes in his hands 
and his feet and his side. Guys, there's ample room for you to go hide in him alone. And there and only there can you safely actually enjoy the glory of God fully. What is the cleft of the rock where you and I must stand if we were to ever be able to see God's face and survive it? (laughs) Jesus Christ is the cleft in the rock. Jesus Christ is the rock of ages on which we stand, right? It is Jesus Christ alone where we must stand. And and when we do stand there, we are in a cleft of a rock, which is so enduring that time can never dissolve it. When the earth melts away and the skies roll up, Christ still stands forever. And so will you in Jesus alone. Guys, it is in Jesus where we must hide in order for us to be able to see God's glory. And the only pathway to be hidden in Jesus alone is by faith alone. That's it. You don't have to walk somewhere. God literally says, hey, by faith, I'm going to put you here. You're safe eternally. Guys, Jesus is the vantage point. Jesus is the place where we must go if we're ever going to get a true and full view of God's glory. Nowhere else can we go. So this whole passage that we've been reading through, through our plight and through God's provision, it's all pointing to a coming Messiah who would make sinners safe in the presence of a holy God. And that's our big point for this whole morning. So we've got our three parts, but we've got our big point. The big takeaway for today is this, ultimately. Only in Jesus can God's glory be enjoyed fully. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Only in Jesus can God's glory be enjoyed fully. That's that's the main thrust of this text. Even though the name Jesus doesn't appear in these verses right here, the person of Jesus does. He's the whole point of this text. This is millennia before Jesus even walked. God was saying, hey, I'm going to have to provide a safe way for you to enjoy me. And it's Jesus, my only son. So I've got a a few minutes here where I want to take this idea and kind of land it into our lives in a way, hopefully that it's helpful for all of us, right? And here it is. When, when you and I try to look at God from any other vantage point, from any other place, apart from Jesus, we're not actually getting to see the fullness of God, right? Not that his glory changes, right? His glory endures forever, but our experience and our understanding of his glory changes So in other words, if we're not looking at the beautiful perfections of God's sovereign character from the vantage point of Christ Jesus, then God's beautiful perfections seem more like unattractive lackings. His sovereignty seems more harsh and narcissistic than anything. And his character becomes undesirable. Nothing admirable about him apart from Jesus. 
I mean, there are people who don't have Jesus who perceive God in these ways. He's just a narcissist. There's nothing about him that's attractive. And yet they're totally missing Jesus. But this isn't just those who are outside of our faith. Guys, there are times where we as believers can wander off into false conceptions about who God is. And we're not seeing God through the lens of the cross or through the lens of Jesus from the place of Jesus. So let me, let me show you what that looks like. If we pull Jesus out of the equation, remove him from the timeline of history, and we try to understand who God is, God's mercy becomes really cheap because he hasn't really addressed our greatest need, which is the atonement for our sin. Amen? Without Jesus, God's grace gets really expensive, right? Because now we have to try to buy God's favor with whatever currency we think he desires. And usually that ends up being our good works. Without Jesus, God's patience is not secure and could easily just run out. Without Jesus, God's faithfulness to us hinges more so on whether the conditions of our lives seem favorable to us. In other words, we interpret God's faithfulness based on our circumstances rather than the sure foundation of the cross if we remove Jesus from the equation. Without Jesus, God's love would still demand we meet impossible requirements. Without Jesus, God's forgiveness is no longer full, free, and forever. No, it's partial, it's costly, and it's only temporary. And so we offered up our next sacrifice. Without Jesus, God's justice isn't served and his wrath isn't satisfied. Guys, without Jesus, God's guiding wisdom that's expressed in his commands seem more like restrictions from pleasure rather than pathways to joy. And guys, do you see how unenjoyable God becomes when you start trying to see who he is apart from Jesus? Do you see how unenjoyable God becomes when we don't look at his glory from the vantage point of the cross? from the rock of ages. Guys, we must take the cross of Jesus Christ and run to the character of God in order for us to be able to rightly and fully understand who God is and see his glory. So if you right now in this season of life are frustrated with God because he's not holding up to his name, guys, it's not because he's forgotten what he's like. It's not that he's forgotten that he's merciful, loving, and kind, right? It's not like he just all of a sudden entered into a new day where he's like, I forgot who I was. No, it's not because of that. It's because you're not looking at him from the vantage point of Jesus through the lens of the gospel. So if you are struggling right now with this really intense trial, in your life, maybe some health concerns, whatever it may be. And you're wondering, God, did I do something wrong that you are punishing me for this? If you're 
looking at God that way, I just have to tell you, you're not looking from the vantage point of Jesus because did not Jesus take every form of punishment and wrath due our sin in our place for us? Was not Jesus made to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God? All the wrath of God has been absorbed for you as followers of Christ. Nothing in your life is an act of punishment for sin anymore. Or maybe you are overwhelmed with your past. Maybe there's something about what you've done and you're just overwhelmed with this sense of guilt and you can't seem to shake this guilt. And every time you actually enter into this prayer, you're navel gazing. All you can see is your sinfulness and you approach him with the greatest amount of conviction and guilt and never joy. Have you forgotten the cross? Have you forgotten that sweet, sweet place where every form of sin was placed on Jesus' shoulder so that you, sinner, could lift your head and no longer bear the weight of our sin? Or have you forgotten that? You don't have to carry the weight of your sin anymore. You are no longer condemned. There is no more guilt. You have been declared innocent because Jesus was declared guilty and he absorbed the full wrath of God. And you can enter into the presence of God boldly because Jesus made a way. Guys, can't you see how only in Jesus, God's glory can be rightly understood and actually fully enjoyed? Can't you see how apart from Jesus, we can't even see God, let alone understand him and know his full heart? Because I don't know if you saw the, the, the song on Friday, uh, Worship Fridays that Luke led us in. It's called Scars. It's from a, a band called I Am They. And the chorus, I think, goes something like this. Uh, and I'm thankful for your scars, like his wounds, because without them, I wouldn't know your heart, God. But in Jesus, we see the full heart of God on display. God has made great provision for us to be able to see his glory and live and enjoy it. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.